what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. I am co-founder and co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society here in Western North Carolina and the United States. And with me on the other side of the table here, uh, but a nice, safe, social distance away, is Mr. Chris Fry, my co other co-director, co-founder, all the same titles I just read out. Chris, how are you doing? I am doing well. Um, had a nice holiday break. This will be our first podcast episode for 2021. Yes, Happy New Year so, to you. Happy New Year to you. So uh, looking forward to it. Well, for those that are uh, first time joining us with brand new year, maybe you, you're checking out a new podcast. Uh, this is Foot Candle Films. We get together a couple times a month. We talk through some new release films. We review them. We give you a little insight into the films. Uh, we also catch that with some interesting film news of in- either new projects that are being announced or maybe some award uh, discussion. That's going to be what we I dip into a little bit today since... We are at the end officially of 2020, so of course all of the best of lists are starting to come about. We'll talk a little bit about some predictions of what's going to be making it to the Oscar list this year. Um, And then we also cap off our show with a recommendation, where Chris and I both share a recommendation. It could be an old film, it could be a new film, it could be anything you can find online. That's kind of the key, which nowadays... That's pretty much everything. So <laughs> we're pretty much it's an open field for our recommendations now. Uh, but for today's show, for the reviews, we do have two films we're going to be discussing. First up, we will be discussing the latest DC Universe superhero film. One of the, the big one, first ones to kind of go straight to online through the uh, HBO Max deal. It is Wonder Woman 1984. Then we'll follow that up with a film that's getting a lot of buzz right now. A foreign film from, I believe, Denmark? Yes. Is that correct? It is the latest film from Thomas Vinterberg. It is Another Round, starring Mads Mikkelsen. So we'll be discussing those two films, and then we'll have some movie news, and then we'll end the show with our recommendation of the episode. Sound like a plan? Yes. Chris? All right. Well, let's get into it then. Let's go ahead and jump into our first review, which is uh, Patty Jenkins' sequel to her wildly successful film, Wonder Woman, starring Gal Gadot. This is Wonder Woman 1984. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. You? So many times. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. And why shouldn't it be? All you need is to want it. Think about finally having everything you always wanted. I can save today. 
With 2017's Wonder Woman, Warner Brothers and DC Comics had a success on their hands. Compared to the juggernaut of Disney and Marvel, they've often struggled bringing superheroes to the big screen. Long gone are the golden days of the Nolan era Batman films. With this sequel, Wonder Woman 1984, do you feel like Alan, director Patty Jenkins, and star Gal Gadot have managed to recapture the magic that they had in 2017? To answer your question, Chris, uh, uh, let me let me give you a, a little insight to you and to the listeners about my process in reviewing films. Um, I so this tip- is inside Alan's head. A little insight because it helps explain kind of where I'm going with this. Okay. Um, I make it a point to not read any reviews okay. about a film until I have gotten some of my gut reaction thoughts of the film I've seen down on paper. So definitely before I see the film, I do not like to read or watch anything that reviews the film. But even after I've seen it, I typically want to make sure I get my, my reactions down somewhere. So that way I'm not influenced by other reviews because I think it's easy for that to happen. So I'm just going to go ahead and go on record that uh, um, I did after putting down and, and espousing to my family what my initial gut reaction to this film was. I did listen to a lot of other podcasts and reviews mm-hmm. and found myself to be very much echoed my well, feeling. Then I know where you're going. Yes. So I <laughs> really, really did not like this film. Gotcha. I, uh, I have a lot of issues with it. I have a lot of things I feel like were just huge miscalculations of this film. Hmm. Um, and more than anything, it was just a big letdown because I really did enjoy the first Wonder Woman film. I was so looking forward to this film. Um, I like Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. I think she's really good. I think she's still probably the best thing about this film. If I had to pick something that still works is her in the role. Okay. I think she's giving it everything she, she can. Um, and I love the 1980s. So you tell me this is a film that's going to be set in 1984. I'm like, cool. There's going to be some reason for it to be set in 1984. And that's going to be really interesting. And there's kind of not really. Um, and then also the villain, the cheetah, okay, the Kristen Wiig character. You know, if I had to pick a Wonder Woman villain that I was kind of excited to see uh, put on screen, it would have been Cheetah because I'm I'm a comic book person. I know the history. There's not many other Wonder Woman villains, so it's like Cheetah is one that kind of a colorful character that you know I, I was excited to see on screen. So for all those reasons, for me to walk away from this film feeling like it was just a lot of poor decisions and how to put this film together, and it was also kind of dull. I mean, I think a dull is a way I would describe it as well. I think you go long periods of time without any really interesting Wonder Woman sequences. I mean, there's a good 45 minutes, I think, in this film where it's just people talking and walking and describing situations, but no real interesting uh, activities or scenes. So I... uh I did not like this film and um, <laughs> I can go into a lot more specifics, but before I do, I, I do want to turn it around and see if maybe you're going to surprise me and feel differently than I do. So, you know, I guess we'll, we've taken a jump inside Alan's head. So now we'll kind of take a jump inside Chris's head. And I, I typically try not to watch previews. We've discussed that on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, now when it comes to reviews and stuff, I do, you know, I'm a letterboxed addict. I'm on there at least once or twice a day. I won't usually read reviews, mm-hmm. um, especially because I'm afraid they contain spoilers. But I do generally look like, oh, these critics who I tend to agree with, 
they gave this thing one or two stars. So you're saying the star ratings. I look at okay. star ratings. Without any context to Correct. understand the ratings. Correct. Just you Unless know. I have no intention of watching the film. That sure. But if they, I don't want to know why they hated it because I want to wait until I get my own reaction. But I'll just be like, huh, interesting. Um, now, I will not listen to, I try to usually not listen to podcasts because, yeah, that's too much explanation. And I don't want to mm. ruin our podcast. So I will say, with this film, because of that, with this film before I saw it, I pretty much knew that critical consensus was they hated this thing. Wow. So I kind of knew that. Um, See, and that's interesting because I, I honestly went in with, I, I mean, I actually watched it the night it went like live on HBO Max. Well, okay. I watched it through, we got um screener copy, but still, I, I still saw it pretty close to the time because I'm like, I just want to go ahead and watch it before all this other stuff gets out there about the film. So yeah, and I, I saw it before it hit HBO max. So mm-hmm. I saw it before Christmas through a screener, a critic yeah. screener. Mm-hmm. So I saw it before I will say I did rewatch it last night before mm-hmm. this recording, because I wanted to kind of, I, I wanted to watch it again, basically it's just short. Yeah. And I've had the time to watch it again. So initially my response was, you know, okay. It's, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And I really thought a lot of people, it was kind of one of those situations where, harking back to a review we did a long time ago, um, The Lone Ranger, where everybody was like really just tearing that thing apart. And you're like, okay, is this thing the greatest thing ever? No, but to go to a theater, see a movie. Well, The Lone Ranger little, was entertaining. little entertainment. So you, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was fun. So that was kind of my initial take on this one. Okay. However, mm-hmm. watched it again last night and watched it with the family. Yeah. And I really then began to see, upon thinking about it more critically, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's too long. There's sequences that just really don't go anywhere. For me, there's still some, there's still things that I'll, there's several things I do like about it, and I will talk about those. Mm-hmm. But all your criticisms, I think, are valid. And something that I didn't, maybe I was just half falling asleep the first time, a lot of people were saying how terrible the special effects were. Yeah. And the first time I didn't really pick up on that. This time I was like, whoa. Yeah, especially in that opening granted, sequence. I think uh, my first see, okay, the first time I watched this, because I watched it on the critics link, I watched it on my laptop. Yeah. And it didn't I didn't really notice a lot of stuff. But now when you're this thing was TV. blown up on my TV with my family watching. And actually the opening sequence I still thought looked I I like that's one of the things I really like about it. It's all the stuff with like lasso stuff and her doing like some of that stuff is just now. Okay, so you're shaking your head. This is going to be the lasso. Dis- you brought this, up the lasso. This I'll is going to be a lasso. good discussion. This is oh. a great discussion because I feel like I'm still going to come across defending this a lot more, which okay. is cool because those are the fun on. shows. Yeah. So okay, um, and talking about some positives, I'm going to be Professor Positive right now. I will. I will be happy to get positives okay. as well. So, Let's do that first. Um, yeah. Why not? Um, so some of the things that I like that I've heard other people complain about is the fact that there were kind of two opening sequences, and they were just like, just get the movie started. One has young Diana on the island doing this like competition. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they cut to later this opening scene that takes place basically in a mall. Yes. Where, and it's very Stranger Things mall with, Mm -hmm. you know, 1980s and everything. And I enjoy both of those. Kind of establish her in modern, well, not modern day, but 1984 versus growing up. And I liked the kind of parallels there. I really liked those two opening sequences. I completely agree. Now, I I actually was on board with this film. I'm like, oh, good. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a little lighter a film, you know, once we get to the mall bit, mm-hmm. you know, and I did like the 
even though I hated, I, there were issues with the special effects during the her as a child in the competition. The competition See, itself was no, cool. I didn't even notice that. No, the competition right. itself was cool and fun. That was a fun ten minute opening thing. So I'm with you so far. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now, mm-hmm. this is this is kind of jump kind of jump a little bit, but it. I'm trying to justify why the special effects were the way they were and why some of the things you may not have liked about the movie to me, I could almost see justifying. This is in 1984. If you think about if they had made a wonder woman movie, when you and I were watching the wonder woman with Linda Carter growing up, mm-hmm. what did it have looked like? And some of the things that we look at now as 40 plus year olds that come across as cheesy, even contrivances and plot that come along as cheesy or just the way tone is handled. Right, right, right. If you look at that through a 1980s thing like Big Trouble in Little China type lens or something like that, or special effects, I'm like, okay, now, I don't know if that's what Patty Jenkins was going for. Me thinks no. (laughs) Um, But I do appreciate you. you can see that lens of 1984. I I appreciate you taking the politician stance and trying to defend (laughs) it through a very uh, thin thin rope you try to put, okay. but uh, it works. It works. Because I, okay. that was I can nice see a little because bit of the that. first time, like I said, I watched this twice. First viewing I had was like, oh, it's okay. And then I started to really kind of tear it apart on the second viewing. Yeah. But I was like, well, wait a second. What are they really trying to do? What is Peyton? And I haven't, yeah. heard, I haven't read any interviews with her. You mentioned Cheetah. Yeah. And how you like that. You totally left out Pedro Pascal and Maxwell Lord. Maybe because that's a negative of you. Now, hold on, Mr. Comic Book, which you know the answer to this, and I'm assuming I know the answer because I think I've heard people talk about it. Maxwell Lord is in comic books. He yes. is a character that does exist. Yes. Okay, good. No, he is a, he, I, from what I recall, I'm not a big reader. I'm, I'm not a big reader of a lot of this particular comic or, sure. or, or knowing that character. Uh, my, my understanding, he's either a businessman or wealthy or something to some sort of business related person. Yes. Do you know if he then becomes like the wish master? Do no. you know if he then becomes like an, evil I don't thing think do that's just, ever happened. Really? Okay. No. Okay. I, well, see, I, I didn't know. And I, you know, yes. we've established on the show before Alan kind of has a little bit more background in comic books yeah. and whether, you know, so I didn't know. But the whole Wishmaster thing, I don't think is ever. I don't even know if that's a character been, name. I just made yeah. that up. <laughs> right. No, that's cool. I like it though. Yeah. So having seen this film that, you know, for those who haven't seen this film yet, there is Cheetah. And then there is another bad guy whose name is Maxwell Lord, who then through circumstances begins to grant people's wishes, but there's always a catch. Okay. So I just deemed him Wishmaster. Is there always a catch? Okay. That's, that's <laughs> okay. good. That's no, good to know. Okay. Good to know. Thanks. Continue. So typically... In other reviews of superhero films we've done, I've often come down on, you know, the villain just wasn't interesting or they didn't do, you know, like typical villain tropes. You take basically any other superhero movie that I can think of off the top of my head, DC or Marvel that's been made. You have good guy, you have bad guy, they clash, there's an arc, everything's done. Okay. And with some here superhero movies, which we've complained about, you have more than one villain and things just go like they're just never satisfied just to do one villain, one bad guy. You get a sequel. They always add bad guys. That's what they did in this. What I found interesting, although I will say. I think the film probably would have been better if you just would have stuck with Cheetah, Cheetah and Wonder Woman. I will say having Maxwell Lord there provided something that 
I don't recall really ever happening in a superhero movie before where you have somebody become the huge, overwhelming bad guy. And then at the end, he's like, okay, I'm better. I'm reformed. I don't go to jail. I don't get caught like nothing. I thought that was kind of interesting. And it was showed like a redemption arc that I don't feel like I've really seen in comic book movies. And it was here again, whether or not it was completely successful, that's different. But what was unique about this film is the fact that it actually did something pretty daring and different in using that character. And that's even more amazing if that character doesn't actually exist in comic books as a villain, as Wishmaster. Well, I think he's a villain, <laughs> but the whole wishing thing is very much just for the movie, made up for the movie. And so that that was really surprising to me that they took they took that. They didn't bother giving you a lot of backstory on him. All you knew was that he was trying to get rich and he really wasn't. He was kind of a fraud. And then somehow he has this knowledge of this crystal that exists or this thing. I don't know. I, I just thought it was interesting. Well, listen, I think the premise, successful. I think the premise, I don't have an issue with the overall plot when you, when you boil it down to a two, three sentence plot. Okay. okay. Maxwell Lord, having him as a businessman who becomes uber powerful and corrupt. Like a Lex Luthor. Sure. I'm all for that. That's fine. Gotcha. Um, having Cheetah, I, you know, whether or not Cheetah could have carried an entire movie as the sole villain, for somebody as powerful as Wonder Woman, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but I'm okay with her being a secondary kind of villain in the film like she is. Actually, I mean, if you think about it, it's it's basically Batman Returns, okay, hmm. where Maxwell Lord is the Penguin character, kind of someone who rises to power through dubious means and is trying to take on a big leadership mm-hmm. role. Yep. And then you got the, the woman and the feline character, True. you know, um, kind of evolving as the film goes along. It's very, very similar, the same approach. And I think it worked in Batman Returns because the Penguin was never the physical villain character. He was more the mental, more the doing things to toy with the, the, the main character. And sure. that's what kind of what we have here. So I'm, I'm okay with the structure. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to fault Pedro Pascal because he he was given it all he's got. I mean, he he was he, chewing the scenes. With what he had to work with. My gosh. That was a, it was at times a completely over-the-top performance, yeah. but it worked. But it, it was what it was. See, there again, that over-the-top, like like – to yeah, me, yeah. that's very 1980s. Like yeah, possibly, I, I think where where the even that positives start to run afoul is just the movie just did not know how to tell this story hmm. and make it understandable, make it fun, make it believable. Um, that was the issue for me. Is that yeah, yeah? There's a lot of stuff to work with. He's going around granting wishes to people, but yet there's like the monkey's paw type of thing with everything. Something bad's going to happen off everything that you wish for. I totally dig that. And Cheetah kind of is born out of that. I get that as well. That totally works. But then when you start really trying to connect the dots or understanding how it all works, it just starts to fall apart. It's just they, 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 they took a premise. They took a story that I think could have been told a lot simpler, a lot more entertaining, a lot more fun. And just, it gets dragged down to the ground. It just gets overextended. It gets overly complicated. It gets, uh, the rules don't make sense after a while. You're like trying to figure out what does, why did they do this? And how did this not do this and affect that? Okay. And, and you know, it, the, it just is too much. I understand that. And I'll agree with that. The only thing that gives me, I wouldn't say get out of jail card free or whatever, but the eightiesness of it kind of let, and you know, I hate to say it, but it's true. It's a comic book movie. So I was like, well, okay. And to me, the comic book logic of this movie that's how I could kind of excuse everything. You know, the fact they were thrown into the 80s to try to be cool. 
you know, certain the well, rule, the rules don't really seem to hold up and apply. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course not, because this guy's making wishes because he turned himself into a stone. And you're like, you know, it's like, okay, I can kind of just, and okay. And something else that I was really wondering, and within the context of film, totally works. Glad it was there. I think it'll be cheating if they do it for a sequel, which supposedly Wonder Woman 3 is going to happen. Um, you know, the trailer that I did see for this film, because you couldn't escape it, it was everywhere. You saw Chris Pine. And mm-hmm. you're like, uh, he died in right. the first Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is like, what, what are they, how, how are they making that work for this film? They well, gave a plausible reason, and I, I thought it. I thought plausible it reason, horrible execution. <laughs> okay, oh, come on, come on. The scene where he's having to fly an aircraft, and he's like, "Are they going to be shooting at us?" And she doesn't say anything, and his response to her no, no, no. saying was hilarious. No, it's I great. It's one of the funniest things in the movie. No, I'm talking about the execution of, of bringing him back. Uh-huh. And again, I don't want to get in the spoiler side, sure. but that's another one of those questionable decisions when putting this film together. I was like, why did you do it this way? Mm. Again, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't know. Is, is it spoilery? Yeah, it's spoilery. I, I, whatever. Okay. Chris Pine's character comes back. Well, I, t- I said that. So that's, but instead spoiler. of him just, Appearing, which is what you would have happen if you made a wish for someone to come back. <laughs> he has to inhabit an actual already existing and, person. And that is weird. That's problematic on so many levels because then you get distracted watching the film thinking, wait a minute. Okay, now Wonder Woman's shacking up with this guy. But it's not. But it's not her her guy. <laughs> it's another guy who's against his will, has no idea what's going on. This is true. It's and then they even had the gall to put a scene at the end where she actually Me sees too. it. Oh, I mean that to me is like, how do you dig yourself out of that? How do you make this? Why can't he have just appeared? You know, <laughs> poof! I made a wish, and look, he's there. Yeah. And then I rescind the wish, and poof, he goes away, or okay. whatever. You could have done that. So that's just one example of the choices. I just think this just did not work. Um, the whole wish granting thing. It's just, it was complicated. I don't even understand at the end. Did Wonder Woman do it? Did she save the day? Because I don't really know. I mean, I, all I know mm. is she, she she made an impassionate speech, but yet Maxwell Lord kind of fixed it by the end. So, but did she do anything? I mean, it's kind of that whole question about with Indiana Jones and Raiders of Lost Ark. If Indiana Jones was not there, would the movie, would the story still have progressed and ended at the same spot? And technically, yeah. <laughs> um, if Wonder Woman wasn't in this movie, would it have ended at the same spot? Yeah, I kind of think it would have, you know? So anyway. Without getting uh, too much into spoilers, hard to say, but I, 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 I can see it kind of. Anyway, it, it's just, unfortunately, it was, a, it was a, a way too sloppy a film with way too many questionable decisions. But unfortunately, <laughs> I think the thing that just makes me mad about the film is that you do have interesting premises. You do have interesting characters. You do have a great lead character. And it's just, I felt like it was just all kind of wasted, you know, not made as, as fun as it could have been. And I think the ending, if you're going to go after that 1980s vibe, which, Hey, I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. The ending I thought was just so overdone, Mm. overdramatic, setting a tone that was completely different than the rest of the film we, we saw just, it didn't work by the time we got to that ending. I'm just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I'm checked out. This is not working for me. Hmm. So anyway, okay. yeah, I think I'll agree. I think the film was a mess, 
but I guess in my head, I'd worked it out between the two screenings. It was enough of them trying to make a unique mess. <laughs> that mm. I found it like an interesting watch, but I mean, I won't say it's like a great film there. There are the problems you've numbered off. I think do exist. So. <laughs> and just, this is an extremely minor point, but I just have to throw it out there. Oh, Cause I already sure. joked about it once. Okay. The lasso. The yeah. freaking golden lasso. Yeah, it's Wonder Woman, man. No, no, no. I love the lasso. Oh, okay. I think the lasso is great. I think when it was used uh, the one time in the first movie, and then they, I think she used it in Justice League, it was well made. Like, it's a lasso. Now this thing Were can just freaking... It? Well, it's like it can go several hundred feet long. It can lasso lightning. It can like she's using it to swing from building to buildings like these super like a Spider-Man thing. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, I I don't know. Again, nitpicky. But when I'm already in a bad mood watching this movie and I see that lasso being over and over and over again with completely random uses, it's like, ah, yeah, you lost me. That just that that just didn't work. So, uh, yeah, there are enough little things touches that I kind of liked one, which I liked and the other one, which I thought was going to be cool, but then <laughs> I think they kind of ruined it. True or false. You know, maybe know this cause you're a little bit more into comic books. Wonder woman can fly. So that's a source of some debate. Okay. But it is a debate because uh, there are some things where she has, I believe. And again, I'm not, I sure. have not, I have not sure, traditionally sure. read her, her series or anything. There are times I think it's been implied or shown that she could fly. Agreed. Yes. But the invisible plane was a lot more consistent. Okay. I I agree that I think that it's been in some comic book storylines where she can fly. Okay. So you, you, and you threw out the one that I really liked her invisible jet, you know, actually those are some of the things I have. Okay. I like that. Let me, let me jump back just a little bit. We were wrapping up, but let me just try to establish it's the eighties vibe. And also like, Things I admired about the film that they were able to pull off. Uh, Steve Travers coming back. Mm-hmm. I feel like they pulled that off. Maybe not better. They could have pulled off better, but they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. At least there was a reason for him coming yeah. back that made sense. Not just because we want to put Chris Pine right. in the movie because everybody likes to. You know, My biggest fear is that it was going to be something where he got frozen and right. like ice right. <laughs> not right. died. Right. I thought it was going to be a really lame excuse. Actually, in, in, in the his, per- car- his arc at the end of the film, I'm like, okay, good. Okay, so. As far as how his character wrapped up, I thought that was interesting. Anyways, okay, so then being able to execute that, I was like, okay, cool. Knowing because of releases about characters and everything that Kristen Wiig was going to play Cheetah, I was like, oh my gosh, how is she going to be this computer animated Cheetah running around the whole time? Like, how how is that not just going to be laughable every time she's on screen as this like computer animated Cheetah? The way they brought Cheetah to life in the film, I was like, okay, that's as believable as it's going to be for me. Mm. Way to go. So I like that. Okay. Um, they didn't bother with it in the first film. At least I don't think so. The Invisible Jet. Yeah. It was definitely new for you know, this That film. is a cartoon thing. You saw it in Super Friends growing up. It's, it's kind of laughable, kind of stupid, kind of silly. The way it's the way they kind of reference it or whatever in this film, I thought it was kind of cool. I really, right. I really liked it. Okay, fine. But I did like the fact that they made the invisible jet, but how it actually became the invisible jet. (laughs) So Wonder Woman now has the power, which is, again, another one of these story logic decisions that just baffles me. Sure. She now has the power to lay her hand on something and it turns it invisible. 
If she constantly This is a power that could come in handy a lot of other places <laughs> in the 50, 60 years that she's been doing the whole Wonder Woman thing, okay? Because she's been around since World War One. She has been doing Wonder Woman type like right. activities. Right. And now it's convenient. I'm going to make this jet invisible when I, I don't know if I can do it or not. I'm going to just put my hand on there but and see, oh, look, I did it. it. That's the kind of thing. It's like, okay, cool. I love the invisible jet idea. But the execution of how they actually got it, it's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And so the last example that I touched on, which I appreciated them trying, but I totally don't think it worked was addressing her being able to fly. I was like, oh, okay, they're going to they're going to incorporate that because that's something that's in her her story or whatever. And I thought, oh, okay, and then actually at the end it was kind of like she'd had a learning lesson about flying. And I was like, okay, but overall it just didn't quite work, but I admire I kind of admire the attempt. Actually of of the, of the things you mentioned, that one bothered me the least. Really? I think, you okay. know, yeah, I was like, all right, because I mean, you know, Steve Trevor is a pilot. I mean, it's kind of this idea that, you know, flights in her nature and mm-hmm. or wants to be, uh, anyway. So I was okay, okay. with that. Um, well, good. I'm glad I've got you a positive. Yeah. yeah no, it was a po- I, again, <laughs> I, my biggest issue with the film is it was more, it was just such a disappointment. You know, okay. if, if there had not been a first wonder woman movie mm-hmm. watching this, I'd be like, eh, it was all right. I mean, it was fine. It was inter- slightly entertaining. There were some interesting characters, and I like Gal Gadot, so all's good. Sure. But the fact that the first one I thought was just so well constructed and had a great story to it, even though I did believe it fell apart in the end with the big CGI, CGI fight with the villain was yeah. horrible in the first movie, but everything up to that point was really, really good. Okay. And then you get to this one, it's just like, man, I just don't feel like they carried anything that worked from the first film over into this one. So it really made me hard to believe it was the same director, same people involved. But so it's just more of the disappointment factor. Now, also, too, let's let's put this in a frame of reference, Chris. This was the first, I'd say, big, big movie to go online Mm -hmm. instead of only in theaters. Right. And it was everybody was waiting for this film. This is the one that got moved from like May to like now December. So I think, too, watching it in a home environment instead of in the big screen. I personally think uh, we might be more likely to find faults and issues than we would have if we got into the big screen. That's my gut Seeing with the crowd. And seeing seeing it with the crowd and just the theater experience, I think, might have helped enhance the viewing. I, this is the film, unfortunately, I think that does get faulted for it being a home viewing now. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. I may be alone in that thought process, but that, that seemed to be where it was for me. So okay. I think we have nitpicked on wonder woman 1984 enough. <laughs> okay. um, Fair enough i was not a fan i was more disappointed than anything because i think there was just such great potential set up with the first film and these characters and the, even the time period and again i still don't know why we were in 1984 it made no sense i mean other than to cash in on it being 1984 and that right. seemed to be kind of all the rage Stranger things vibe yeah. yeah but otherwise there was no reason for this to be 1984 at all um pedro pascal as maxwell lord i credit him for going going all in on this performance i just uh i wish his character would have been better realized and had a better plot to surround him that really made sense at times and uh same with the cheetah i thought her transition was actually very abrupt and kind of stretched credibility of how she got from point a to point b but i think there again christian rig was good in the role um so again, there's a lot of good elements there. Just it just didn't come together into a good film. So I'll say, you know, 
credit scenes take leave. This one was a complete eye roll for me. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I knew exactly where it was going as soon as you saw somebody in that scene and they turn around. I'm just like, like, I wonder who's going to turn around. Yeah. 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 I knew. Yeah. And now they tried to make an attempt to weave that individual back into the story because there was a flashback story at one point that would have referred to that. So give them a little credit points for that. It wasn't just a complete random throwaway scene at the end, but yet just so over the top. It was. Yeah. 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 And plus even there, the animation and special effects were just not good. Either. Okay. Wonder Woman 1984. I'm not a fan. Chris, more of a fan than I was, more willing to defend it than I did. I was, <laughs> but uh, uh, overall, still not a great film and uh, disappointment in general. All right, let's move on to our second review, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the latest film from director Thomas Vinderberg and starring Mads Mikkelsen. It is the film Another Round. Jeg har lyst til at starte aftenen med lidt champagne. Det lyder dejligt. Jeg er i bilen. Jeg skal bare have en dansk mand uden citrus. Uden citrus, ja tak. Ja. Hæft, ja. det er godt det her. Øh, ja, det er sgu selv, du er så fornuftig. Men spørgsmålet er, hvad der i virkeligheden er fornuftigt? Der findes en, en norsk filosof. Han øh, mener, at mennesker er født med en halv promille for lidt. Altså jeg må sige, jeg kunne da godt sådan bruge en halv promille sådan på daglig basis for at få lidt mere selvtid. Det har vi da alle sammen brug for. Det har du da også brug for. Jeg synes, det er spændende. Det gør jeg også. Så det er det, vi gør. In the film Another Round, or Druk in its original uh, title from Denmark, Uh, We have four friends, all of them teachers at a high school, that decide they're going to test a theory that they have, that uh, their lives can be improved by maintaining a constant and uh, somewhat uh, tempered level of alcohol in their blood at all times during the day. Uh, All four of them are going through their own stages of their personal lives, whether it be some uh, fracture in their family or it could be uh, their own uh, young kids growing up, all different stages these four characters are in. So they're finding this as a kind of a common bond where they all would like to see something improve in their life. In the case of Mads Mikkelsen, who stars as Martin, the lead character we follow, he's finding himself to be uh, getting older and maybe less enjoyable and less interesting and wanting to he's boring he feels like he's boring, boring. and even his students and his wife kind of help agree that yes he's he's a boring person now. <laughs> so he's trying to find a way to become less boring and then all the other three men also have their own desires to see things improve around them so embarking on this experiment they start drinking at a certain specified level at certain times throughout the day and do find some things changing in their lives based on that Chris, Thomas Venter, uh, Venterberg, uh, the writer and director of this, also made some other films we've talked about. The film uh, The Hunt from back in 2012, also starring Mads Mikkelsen, right. which I don't recall your take on it, but I know I was a big fan of the film. I, I think I you were as well. well. Yeah. We also both, as a Foot Candle film screening we hosted several years ago, we uh, had the film Far From the Madding Crowd mm-hmm. uh, that was an English-speaking film. Uh, and starring Miss Carrie Mulligan, 
which even though it was not the type of film that you and I are, are big fans of, we both came away liking what was done with this. Yeah. Uh, Vinderberg has done several other films since then. Uh, but this is uh, him reteaming with Mads Mikkelsen for this film. Uh, the trailer gives off the impression of it being somewhat comedic uh, with maybe some touches of drama to it. Um, but Chris, I know you don't like watching trailers, so I don't need to worry about asking what kind of perception you had going into the film. My question is, if you can recall how much you thought uh, the, the hunt was well done, the reteaming of writer, director, and lead actor in this, how did this come about for you? How did, how did this follow up? Uh, work out in your opinion i'm just waiting for the third film in the trilogy of the mads mickelson teacher drama where he always plays miserable teachers that's true because he was a teacher in the hunt as well right. you're right so apparently vinterberg has this thing you know what mads you make a great teacher and i'm going to make you miserable that's um, right. the teacher trilogy that's yeah, what we're all waiting trilogy. for yes exactly um I, I feel like this, you know, they, they work well together. I mean, I guess we, you know, they do some more films. We'll, you know, judge the relationship even better. But I think Winterberg's a good director and Mads Mikkelsen just, you know, takes the material and does great. I mean, he's just, he's really good in this. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that I wonder if this film benefits a little bit as me being an American watching a film from Denmark because I can separate you know, there's a, you mentioned kind of the comedy drama. It's a film about drinking mm-hmm. and, you know, there's some alcoholism in it and it's, you know, but it, it's not played for laughs. There are some funny things in it. There are some moments where just you, they, they are intending it to be comedic just when they are relaxed and, and fun, yeah. having fun with it early on in the film. And yeah. one, one of the, the people in the film, uh, Nikolai or Nikolaj, he's a, I think he's a philosophy teacher. He kind of takes this on and like literally is doing research. Like they're, you know, noting Testing how the much their alcohol yeah. they're drinking. They're making notes on their performance and they're doing it almost like a research paper or a doctoral thesis. And it's interesting how well I think they balance the subject matter and don't make it too funny and don't stray away from that. Whereas I fear if this was, if they make a remake of this, which, you know, this is getting awards. It could end up getting nominated for best foreign film in the Oscars. And if it won, I would dread the eventual American remake that they would do <laughs> because I feel like they would stray too far into making it a comedy. See, and I actually and I think, think I actually think, I don't think America would make this film. Oh, because I think, uh, you know, if you try to play the idea of constant drinking alcoholism as a source of laughs for people right mm-hmm. now, I, I don't think that would play very well. Sure. So I don't even think they would, I don't think they, I don't even think they'd touch it. The fact that Denmark is a society that drinking is part of that society a lot more heightened right. and more regular than what we see here in America. America is more extremism. Like you're sure. either, you're either alcoholic or you're just a light casual drinker. And even the, even, um, Martin's wife makes the comment. It's like, well, in this country, you know, drinking is just everywhere anyway. Well, the so it's very opening much- scene of the film is basically there's seniors that are graduating and kind of something they haven't graduated yet, but something that's kind of a tradition apparently is to do a run around this lake and drink a beer at certain intervals and see if you yeah. can make it through a certain set of amount of beer before you right. make it all the way. And it's like, it's known, obviously it's been done forever. The teacher, yeah. And his friends did it when they went to this high right. school years ago. So it's kind of an accepted 
and the school yeah, acknowledges yeah. it, they start to wonder if it's starting to be a little more problematic over time, but they haven't taken the efforts to shut it down yet. Right. So that's where here in America, that's been shut down. That right. That is not allowed. That's not tempered. So again, I, I think America would be a hard pressed to remake this film and make it anywhere as, as effective as it is. Mm. Um, so what do you think? Do you like the film? I did. Um, and with everything we've said about it, without spoiling, I guess, too much about things that happen, um, I really liked the ending. Yeah. Um, the last shot specifically, Mm -hmm. but I will say in a way, because of how (laughs) it is dealing with alcoholism and, or just alcohol alcohol consumption, you know, the effects that it has on these men's lives, you know, is it okay to like the ending and what does the ending? Well, here's my interpretation. I'll go ahead and tell you, I really like this film. Um, I I thought it was great. Um, there's so many things I did like about it. I'm going to jump to the end because the ending I absolutely adore the ending sequence. Mm, it's yeah. so much fun. But you're right. Is the it, question is, is it okay is, for it to be fun? Is it okay for it to be fun? Here's my take on it. I don't think the film ultimately is about alcohol. Okay. I think that the film is about um, not looking for something artificial to give you joy. Ah. Okay. I like, I so like that. So I think the ending, yes, they're drinking alcohol and they're having a good time, but it's not the alcohol that's making them have a good time. In the end, I think it's finally some sense of relief to allow themselves to be fun and relax and Mm -hmm. have a good time. It's just the alcohol is just a, it's a tool. It's not the the path. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Late earlier in the film. Yes. I think they're, they're trying to see alcohol as the path to make their life better instead of just an aid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what the film is about is like, you know, I don't think it's saying that it's trying to condemn alcohol or definitely not trying to advocate it as much. It's just saying that, look, if, if, if you're trying to, if you're trying, if you're trying to take some sort of moral lesson from it, I think the moral lesson is if you're trying to find something that will fix you, Mm. that's no good. That's, that's not the way to do it. If you are, if you decide to use it as just a way to help you get to a point where you are happier in your life and you don't abuse it and you don't, you know, uh, over rely on it, it, it's okay. You know, that's kind of what I took from it, but well, that's good because that makes me feel okay with liking this movie better. (laughs) It makes me okay with the ending. So I'm I'm glad that you, you talked about that. (laughs) I, I did really like this film. Mm -hmm. Um, Mads Mikkelsen for me is someone that, I've always thought of him as kind of a, a, a one note actor. Hmm. It's just that his one note is really, really good. Like he nails that one note, this more somewhat menacing, more darker mm-hmm. brooding character. Okay. He's always had that and he's really good at it. Mm-hmm. He was in uh, the, the first Daniel Craig, James Bond film Casino Royale sure. as a bad guy. He was on TV with the TV show Hannibal, similar moods, similar style of acting, similar character traits. Um, what I loved about his performance here is yeah, he's still the boring, brooding guy at times early in the film. But man, when he cuts loose, I wish that had he a history a teacher. Fun like character. Yeah, his is. his lectures that he does are amazing. Well, and then you mentioned the ending. Obviously, yeah. getting to watch him perform like he did was amazing. And uh, and, he, and that's the thing. Like you've touched on. I don't, when I think of him, I don't think of him as a cut loose kind of yeah, having fun type right. of, and to see him be able to do that, to see him smile and not in a menacing way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, I agree. I agree. It was, so it was, cool. it was great to see him broaden out like that and, and, yeah. and show us what he's capable of there. Um, and I also think, uh, you know, there were several moments that were just 
really great. Mo- I mean, yes, at its core level, the plot itself could be boiled down as and, and made into a dumb comedy or a slapsticky comedy. But there's a lot going on here. I mean, there are moments of levity. There are some moments early in the film where, yes, you you actually start to think, hey, this is working for them. They're they're they're, they're drinking right. just at a certain level throughout the day. And I love the way the title cards will come up and kind of show the blood alcohol level that they're hitting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just like a come, research. Paper yeah. It's just like a black it. screen comes up and it just ticks up and shows up oh, 0.5. That's where they are. And I love that frame of reference because obviously it's played for a much more dramatic effect later in the film mm-hmm. when you start to see it go much higher than it should be going. Yeah. Um, you know, watching this film that something's still going to happen to cause this to become a drama. And, um, but the but it balanced the mood okay. Yeah. I, I think it balanced it fine, and it, it still made it very engaging to watch. So, yeah. How do you feel about the character specs, Alan? I love the character specs. Right? I actually wrote down specs my awesome. favorite moment of the film, other than the ending sequence. Okay. Specs reaching out and holding the hand of the coach. Oh man. Whew. <laughs> that got me, man. That yeah. totally got me. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I love Specs. <laughs> Specs was a, a, a young boy uh, player on uh, the team that one of the gentlemen is the high school coach for. Right. And uh, he is, man, he's awesome. So, uh, <laughs> no, it was, I, I wrote that down. That, that moment I loved. Specs, yeah. The uh, ending sequence I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. Um, there's several other moments. The use of the title cards I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, Mads Mickelson himself was good. All four of the characters were really good from an acting perspective. And, I know I'm being very sensitive about the whole alcohol and alcoholism topic and rightfully so, but I will admit there was some drinks they were mixing about halfway through the film where it's like, "Mm, that really looks good. (laughs) So I need to rewind and write down that, that recipe they were reading out because that looks like a really good drink right now. Um, So I I did have a good time with the film. I, I think the film had important things to say without getting, too heavy, too heavy handed sure, on it either. I agree. And I do, just like you said at the end, you're still walking away saying, well, this isn't a pro alcohol film. This isn't an anti alcohol film. Right. I think there's a lot more. They're just exploring about men at this age, trying to wrestle with who they want to be oh, versus yeah. who they used to be. Absolutely. And maybe that's partly why it resonated for me too. Cause I mean, I'm basically these guys ages too, or close to it or a little yeah. above it. Maybe I don't know. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I totally get it. And the film worked for me on all levels for that. Agreed. I yeah. liked it as well. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to mention with this. Um, not really. I think overall it's great. Um, I cannot believe that two of my favorite scenes over the past 12 months of film, um, one of them involves Mads Mickelson dancing to like a rave dance song. Mm. And the other one is characters dancing in a pharmacy to a um, Paris Hilton song. Paris Hilton. But yet, that is two of my favorite uh, movie moments of the past 12 <laughs> months. So anyway, um, that is another round. And that is one that uh, sounds like both Chris and I are very much in favor of. It is one we are currently showing on the Foot Candle online cinema at this moment. So let's say you just heard our review. Uh, Let's say you're one of those people who likes to hear reviews before watching the movie. <laughs> right. If you are now curious to go see this film or you want to go see it again, it is on the Foot Candle Online Cinema. If you go to footcandle.org, 
Um, and a uh, link from there, there's a button to go to the online cinema. You can actually buy a ticket to watch this film from the comfort of your own home, laptop, iPad, TV, wherever it may be. So, um, and you just know that some of the funds go and help support the film society that we yeah, have in yeah. our area. So that's always a good thing too. Absolutely. That is another round from Denmark directed by Thomas Vinterberg. Vinterberg. Yes. I'm going to get that right one of these days. All right, Chris, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got a couple of movie news items to discuss. Okay. And then we're also going to do our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here from the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And we just finished doing our reviews of Another Round and Wonder Woman 1984 earlier in the podcast. I really liked one of those films and really did not like the other. And uh, if you missed that first half for whatever reason and go back, I'll let you guess which one was which. Um, Chris, yes. I think it was the same way, just maybe a little little less negative on the one I did not like. So Correct. that's it. Okay. So Chris, this is the part of the show where we like to share a little bit of movie news. Maybe uh, if we're watching the tea leaves about some new productions coming down the pipeline that look interesting, maybe let's talk about those. But I also want to talk about looking back at 2020 on my news items. So let's go with yours first. Uh, you told me beforehand that there was a, a project you wanted to talk about that you said looks like it could be good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's I hear about so. it then. So director Alex Garland, uh, he did Ex Machina mm -hmm. and then he did Annihilation. So two like sci-fi films there. Um, he was working with A24 when he made Ex Machina. He is now re-signed with the studio A24 to make a new film that's also going to be a science fiction film called Men. It's going to be the name mm -hmm. of it. And the star that he is signed with it is Jesse Buckley. Okay. Jesse Buckley from mm -hmm. Wild Rose and also from more recently, I'm thinking of ending things. Yes. Um, so she's going to be the star. They have not, they've kept plot details somewhat under wraps as is per usual for Alex Harlan, which is how I like it. I like, you know, mm -hmm. okay, I like the director. I like that star. Just give me a film. Um, so early days yet, but they have a title, they have a director and they have a star. It'll probably be released, you know, maybe late 2021 or, you know, 2022 but they've got it going uh, alex garland also was a writer director for a series that i did not see called devs which yes. was also like a science fiction thing that a lot of people liked so that's kind of his uh his credits to his name remind me your take on annihilation i liked it okay um i liked it a lot and um the parts that were, it only increased my appreciation of it with every viewing. I wouldn't say it was perfect because I've seen it like two or three times. Um, and what was really amazing, which, you know, I bring this to that because I'm kind of the book nerd. I went and read the book afterwards. Mm -hmm. And man, for them to have made a movie out of that book, which mm -hmm. you think the movie is open for interpretation or kind of like what's going on. Yeah. The book is definitely that wow. way. Wow. So. Annihilation is one of those I need to revisit at some point because it's one that I I was mixed on when I saw it. Okay. And but yet it's one that I know, I mean, I did like Ex Machina. 
I like in general what Alex Garland is doing. Did you see Dez? I didn't. I didn't. didn't. No, I didn't see the the show. Um, but Annihilation is one that just keeps coming back to me saying, eh, I probably need to give that another shot. Because, um, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking I'll like it better second time, but maybe that's just peer pressure of people I read online talking about how much <laughs> they like it. I don't know. Sure. Interesting. So it's called Men. Men. Yes. But it's starring Jesse Buckley. Yeah, yeah the star attached is a female, so I'm not okay. sure exactly what that is. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm excited. Okay. Any idea when that's coming out, did they say? They didn't say, but seeing as how I mean, they're just starting. Right, right. Okay. So I would think probably at least probably 2022. 2022. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. That, that yeah. sounds like it could be something uh, fun to watch. So very, very cool. Um, okay, Chris. So here's what I want to do. Yes. We, this is the first episode of 2021. Yes. And obviously now all attention in the movie critic world is going to who's going to win awards for 2020. Sure. Because I mean, at this point, if a film did not screen, well, no, they extended it, didn't they? The window? I believe so. So technically films could still come out for the next little bit. The awards are going to be in April. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And so, yeah, usually the cutoff is Christmas, but I think this time the, the cutoff is maybe the end of January or February. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, because technically, one of the films you may be about to mention, Nomadland has only done a festival circuit. It mm-hmm. hasn't actually hit release yet. And I think Minari may actually be in the same boat. So they definitely extended it. I'm just not sure when the cutoff well, is. Well, just because it's January and that's where my head is, as I like to think, look back at the last year. Sure. What we're going to do is uh, Variety, which, you know, website I visit quite frequently, I think does a great job reporting on film and media and TV work. They have put out their Oscar predictions for Best Picture. Okay. So here's where we are. I, 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 you and I have been watching a lot of screeners that we've been getting from films and all. So they, at this they, point. They give the like 10 predictions? Like how many? Like Yes. They're doing Best Picture. Okay. And they have 10 that they are saying okay. are their predictions for the contenders i have now hidden my hands underneath the table okay. and as alan reads out the titles i'm going to count on my little fingers all right and i'm going to guess seen. whether you've okay. seen it or not so i will okay. try to guess by the end of the 10 how many of the 10 you have seen okay okay here are their predicted nominees for best picture okay nomad land directed by chloe Zhao and starring uh francis mcdormand who which you already mentioned sure. nomad land the Trial of the Chicago 7, which is the Aaron Sorkin film that went straight to Netflix about the uh, the seven uh, uh, people uh, surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention. We didn't review that on the We show. have not reviewed it. Minari, uh, that you already just mentioned, directed by Lee Isaac Chung. That's the one about the Korean family moving to Arkansas and back in the 1980s. Uh, and is starring uh, Stephen Young. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's a Netflix film. Went straight yes. to Netflix. Was technically the last film that Chadwick Boseman will star in. Right. Directed by George C. Wolfe and also starring uh, Viola Davis. One Night in Miami by Regina King. Interesting, I think. Uh, she gets, uh, she's directing a film now. Uh, fictional account of One Incredible Night in 1964 where Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke all got together discussing their roles in civil rights movements. The Father, this uh, is starring Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins, okay. directed by Florian Zeller. Uh, Mank, David Fincher's film about uh, Herman Mankiewicz and the writing of the screenplay for Citizen Kane. News of the World, 
Paul Greengrass's film starring Tom Hanks about a Civil War veteran agreeing to deliver a girl to her aunt and uncle against her will. The Five Bloods, Spike Lee's film, which we reviewed on this on this very show. Also Netflix. Also a Netflix, straight to Netflix, yep. Uh, four African-American vets battle uh, to return to Vietnam. And then Promising Young Woman, uh, Emerald Fennell. I think we talked about this show, this one one or two episodes ago. Was it the last episode? I think it was the last episode of 2020. Which you and I, I know, were, were very, very big fans of. Mm-hmm. So that are those are the 10 that Variety is saying that's their prediction right now for the 10 best best picture nominees for 2020. Chris, I'm going to make the guess that you have seen. I'm going to guess you have seen eight of those 10 films. Can you read out the names again really, really quick? Because I'm going to guess how many you've seen. <laughs> okay. Nomadland. Okay. Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay. Minari. Okay. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Okay. One Night in Miami. Okay. The Father. Okay. Mank. Okay. News of the World. Okay. The Five Bloods. Okay. Promising Young Woman. Okay. I'm going to guess you've seen eight. Okay. And the actual number is 10. You've seen all 10 of them? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Chris. Now, Amazing. I'm going to guess how many you've seen. Yeah, okay. It's a lot lower than that. Two? Three. Oh, I've okay. seen three of them. I guess you saw The Five Bloods. Yep. And Promising Young Woman. I knew you'd seen those because we reviewed them on We've the show. We've reviewed them. We talked about them. <laughs> so yeah. Either I just made up those reviews. <laughs> so <you may> just <laughs> guess. Right. So what other one have you seen? Uh, Mink. And we didn't review that on the show. We have not. Wow. Because, you know, Alan's a big Citizen Kane fan. If anybody listening to the show, you know that about Alan. I think I mentioned on the show I was wanting to watch Mank so that I could maybe redeem a little bit about how I feel about Citizen Kane. Yep. Spoiler, didn't happen. Didn't like Mank. I may have more to talk about Mank later in the show. Okay. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Yes. Excellent. So that is the Variety's Predictions. Wow. For 10 best films. Huh. Now. There's three Netflix films. That's kind of crazy. Is it just three? I thought maybe it was more than that. Uh, so yeah. Trial Chicago 7 is Netflix. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is Netflix. Uh, Mank is Netflix. Oh, four. You're right. Defy Bloods is Five Netflix. Wow. Yeah. So you had four Netflix films. That's crazy. You had uh, one Amazon Studios film, One Night in Miami. Right. And yeah, so so five of the 10 films that's, that they're predicting are ones that were released by a streaming service. That's nuts. Yeah. It's really nuts. And I got a feeling that, uh, yeah, so Nomadland was Searchlight Pictures. So that's okay. Uh, Minari is A24. But both of those haven't had a theatrical run yet. Mm. Who knows if they're going to get a theatrical The Father, Sony Pictures Classic, hasn't had a theatrical run yet, I right. don't believe. Um, News of the World went online. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, I think you can rent it online. I okay. think it was released so people could watch it there. And so it was Promising Young Woman was also released so that through Focus Features, but released where you can purchase or rent and it. And it's on, in theaters right now. I yeah, mean, they if, are getting a theatrical go, run. But yeah. as far as the ones you could actually go online and sure, see right now, sure. it's a good seven of them, I think, are ones that you could actually watch right now today. Hmm. You can't see Nomad Land yet in, in online. Can't see Minari yet online. Um the Father, I don't believe you can find online right now. Yeah, but the other seven, you totally can. 
It's amazing. So, so if you want to try to catch up on your Oscar pool stuff that'll right. be happening. You can and you do have a little more time because, yeah. again, the Oscar ceremony is going to be a little later uh, later in the season. So, okay. All right. So you've seen 10. Wow, 10 of them. Chris, I'm so far behind. So <laughs> well, far behind. I mean, it, it helped because uh, screening links came out and they were trying to get critics to watch stuff. Yeah. So it did help. My, my, my excuse was I was in the middle of a house move here in the last uh, month. Sure. And uh, that is still consuming quite a bit of my time. And uh, – I hope to get back on the on the bandwagon. I do plan to see all ten of these, or whichever the nominees are. I, I don't know if these will be the actual final nominees or not. Sure, uh, but at least try to see those before the uh, the ceremony for sure. Okay, Chris. Now it comes to the point of the show where we do our recommendations. You and I both share a film that we either caught up with recently or just remembered recently that we want to recommend for people to check out. The only criteria is that this needs to be a film that people can watch online, which again, nowadays in today's uh, <laughs> film going world, that's yes. pretty much any film uh, you imagine seeing, except for just a few of the ones we just mentioned in that best picture list. So Chris, let me start off with you. What is your recommendation for this episode of a film you think people ought to check out? Okay. So it's going to kind of be a cheat. Okay. Um, I'm going to recommend if you subscribe to the Amazon service, um, they are, have a series that was actually, it's not TV. I mean, it came out on TV on BBC, I believe is who released it. Um, but they're actually full like movies. Um, there were five episodes, but each episode was like a full length film. Mm-hmm. Uh, director Steve McQueen put them out. He called them the small acts. And that's like an ax, like something you used to chop down a tree, the small acts series. That's what it was called. But in that series, there were five films and of those five films, full admission, I've only seen two. I've mm-hmm. seen Mangrove and Lover's Rock. There's mm-hmm. also Red, White, and Blue, Alex Weedle, and Education. So I haven't seen those last three, okay. but I have seen Mangrove and Lover's Rock. Um, I'm going to recommend um, Mangrove. Hmm. Um, to me, um, it's a courtroom drama that takes place, um, obviously, over in England, and it has to do with a guy struggling with a restaurant. He's an immigrant. He's running this restaurant, and uh, racism comes into play. I think from what I can tell, or from what I've been told, all five films kind of center around the experience of people from West West Indian immigrants living in London during the 1960s and 1970s. Okay. Okay. So Mangrove is, you know, an immigrant who's running a restaurant and he has some problems with local police. And stuff. to me, this was a much more effective and less stagey, so to speak, trial mm-hmm. and i've just come off seeing uh trial of chicago, chicago 7, 7 recently yeah. which you know there are elements of that film i like i'm not saying it's a terrible film but i guess maybe because this didn't have a bunch of movie stars in it you know yeah. whereas that did it was kind of a star-studded cast they all i think did great jobs but this seemed much more real because i didn't know the people that were doing the acting if that i makes see sense yeah sure absolutely um, so i'd like to recommend um mangrove out of those uh that small act series and i think the other ones are probably i liked lover's rock okay not as much as a bunch of other critics have really really liked that one um but mangrove i'm definitely going to recommend out of the small act series and it's available on amazon prime okay yeah no I, i've i've been meaning to try to catch up on some of those but you know as you heard from the previous segment, I've got a lot of other films to catch up on <laughs> sure. as well. So sure. uh, it will, I will get to the list as soon as I can. Um, but thank you for the recommendation. Very good. Um, okay. I am going to recommend Mank on Netflix. Okay. I am going to recommend Mank for a couple reasons. Although 
it, it pains me to say it's not a enthusiastic recommendation. Okay. Okay. I was a little disappointed with the film. Your reaction to Wonder Woman, uh, nineteen eighty four, is kind of how I felt about Mank. I was okay. really it was David Fincher. I was really anticipating it. Now, yeah. I, I, don't get me wrong. I, I I did like enough about this film to okay. still recommend it. Sure. And me loving Citizen Kane, loving the history and story behind Citizen Kane. This is an element of it I was not as familiar with the writer Mankiewicz. I knew, of course, the pressure that Mankiewicz was facing about writing a screenplay about basically riffing on William Randolph Hearst and kind of the drama behind that. I did not know a lot about Mankiewicz's actual relationship with Hearst gotcha. and um, kind of him being kind of sequestered in this this place to recuperate and also write the script. It was interesting. Now, the things I liked about this film, I will say uh, I, I thought Gary Oldman was really good. I think Amanda Seyfried was really good as Marion yeah. Davies. I thought she was great. Probably the best I've seen her act in a film. And uh, it just a great performance. Um, I like Tom Pelfrey as his brother, Joe. Um, he's someone I've seen on the TV show Ozark on Netflix. Oh, okay. And have not seen him in anything else. So it was really nice to see him in there. Um I'm really particular when it comes to Orson Welles impersonation. So I'm a little, you know, I'm a little mixed on how Tom Burke did. I think he was fine. He was fine. Pretty much if you can get the cadence and the voice down, which I think he he got it, then, you know, you got your, you got your Orson Welles impersonation, which I was actually surprised how little Orson Welles was actually. Yeah. That was a bit of a disappointment for me too. He was more of a looming figure in the background until he had one or two scenes that he got to show up. Um, the thing that I will say that I, 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 the movie wasn't as the movie honestly just wasn't as entertaining as I wanted. It was actually it felt was very long. dry and very long and, and dull, which is how I feel about Citizen Kane. Sorry, <laughs> couldn't help, couldn't help that. Okay, uh, <laughs> just serenity now. I just know, kind of bring I myself know. down. It was Alan. a cheap show. Okay, um, I I admired what Fincher was doing with the look and style of the film, mm-hmm. mimicking basically the same kind of cinematography and even sound design of a film shot in the time of Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I admired all that. Again, I like the generally like the acting in it. Um, I just, yeah, I wish there had been a little more interesting things happening and, and energy in the film where I just felt like there were just long moments where, not a lot was happening and and it kind of got a little repetitive and kind of, yes, we know Mankiewicz has uh, had a kind of a love hate relationship with Hearst at the time of writing this. And he knew this was going to put him out by the time we got to the end of the film where he's having to make the decision of whether he wants his name attached to this. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where the film did pick up its interest. And I think the last 20, 30 minutes was probably the most interesting part of the film, but I think it's worth watching because it is very well shot. Very looks great. Um, and it's acted really well. So I'm going to give it a, a pass for that and a recommendation, but I will say overall, it's a little let down, um, by the film. It was not everything I wanted it to be. Gotcha. So, yeah. It did though, cause me to have, I watched it with my wife and even though she has seen Susan King before, uh, she was got that a requirement really, before you guys got married. It was okay. we, a second date. I don't bring it up first date. That's gotcha. kind of. That's a little blase, but second date, I do require the the, qu- the quiz on have you seen Citizen Kane? <laughs> and I do have a series of five questions I will ask to nice. validate that you actually have seen it and not just uh, 
not just make it up. So. I'm not sure I could pass that quiz, <laughs> although I have seen it. But, but I was going to say that she and I watching this, her her watching this actually got her inspired. She wanted to see Citizen Kane again. So we end up watching it later that evening, and I got she let me do my professorial nice. uh, uh, pausing the film and describing <laughs> things as we go along, which wow. is always fun for me to do. Sure. So, um, so yeah, so Mank, a little disappointed, but overall I still want to recommend it because I think uh, if you have any interest in Citizen Kane and the story behind it, there are some interesting things of value here to pick up on. But if you're not a fan of Citizen Kane, it's probably going to be a really, really tough watch. So, yeah. All right. So that's the Small Axe series. Uh, Chris is recommending Mangrove, one of the episodes of that series. I am giving a slight recommendation to the film Mink. Um, it is probably one of the least effective David Fincher films I think I've seen. I will say that. I'd agree with that. I think there was maybe more focus on the look and style of the film than there was on the content. Mm-hmm. So um, now I don't want to throw his father under the bus, but supposedly his father uh, like wrote the screenplay or story for this a long time yeah, ago. Supposedly, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, maybe we'll, we'll see where David Fincher goes with this next project. Um, right. Yeah. Anyway, that's Mank and small X series, the episode mangrove. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, I think we have wrapped it up. Wonder Woman 1984, uh, it's a no-go for me. Um, <laughs> and then we had uh, another round with both you and I are very enthusiastic about. We had our news items. You got to talk about the upcoming project uh, that's going to be coming from Alex Garland. And then uh, I talked about uh, Oscar predictions. Chris is 10 for 10, Yay. seeing the best picture, potential best <laughs> potential. picture nominees. Yeah, sure. I am three of 10. And I would like to footnote that with I am thrilled that they put Promising Young Woman in that that running. I don't know if I think it's really going to be there. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't put anything from Small Axe because I think, just side note, not to derail the whole podcast, but because of format and because people are like, oh, is it TV? And it's like, no, these are films. He just happened to release them in a series of the BBC. But a lot of critics gave a lot of love to a lot of the small acts things, but they went straight to Amazon in the U.S. So. Well, I think there's the format issue when you have a whole series of them. It's like, you True. know, they kind of compete for attention they and they do. end up blocking yeah. each other out to some True. degree. Um, yeah, I'd be really curious to see. I'm still very curious to see where the Oscars end up. Me I mean, of those 10 films I mentioned – if you went to the comment, you know, general movie going uh, public and mentioned those talent, I don't think any of them are ones anybody would know. No. Which is fascinating to me that that's the year we're in, which is, you know, obviously not a year I want to repeat anytime soon, <laughs> but at least yeah. it's giving a chance for some of these smaller independent films to get a lot more acclaim, hopefully. Well, and that's something that I'm excited about. There again, we're coming to the close of the podcast. Don't worry. We're not going to ramble on for another half hour, or will we? I don't know. But we I could. early in this whole situation, the pandemic and everything, we talked about this in news items and stuff. One of the things I was hoping, I think we had a news item about them moving the Oscars. And I was like, they better not. That's not fair to the people that are releasing the films. That's not fair to more smaller independent films. And I'm excited. Am I disappointed that we didn't get to see the French Dispatch this year? Mm -hmm. Or sorry, in 2020? Yes, I am disappointed. So those that chose to move their films, I get it. It's a business. But those that chose to go ahead and release their films, maybe they had to do it all online. Maybe they... I'm glad they did, and I want them to be able to get an Oscar and not just yeah. like brushed aside. So I, I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, really, from a from a general public standpoint, I think probably. I mean, my gosh, what's the most known film on this? The Trial of the Chicago Seven, probably. Yeah, it's I mean, going to be a Netflix title because a lot of people that's have Netflix. It. So. 
Uh, you know, nothing else is mank a little bit, but there again, uh, Netflix title. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's just fascinating that none of these are, are, I feel like, I feel like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has some because there's buzz about it being Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman. That's true. And it's so. Netflix also. Yeah. So there's a good chance Netflix could be, yeah. could be the one this year. I mean, how, how crazy would that be? All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. Chris. How can people reach out to this? Reach out to us if they have any questions, comments, feedback, ideas. You can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We are on Letterboxd. Alan has Alan Jackson. I'm Chris Fry. You can follow us on there to see what we're seeing every now and then. We leave uh, many reviews. Do us a favor. We like our show. Thank you, A. And then B, give us a star rating or write a review. Share with friends at iTunes. It helps us reach new listeners. Um, that's awesome. We're also available on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. So you spreading the word helps us reach more listeners. We would appreciate it. All right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up again. Footcandle.org is the website for our film society. Uh, we uh, have a button link to go to our virtual online cinema. And we have right now not only the film Another Round, but we also have a few documentaries up there. And we invite you to come join us and check them out. And uh, we will be adding more films as time goes out and sharing with both uh, our members and the general public. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Foot Candle Films, Alan and Chris. We will look forward to talking to you next time. Take care. See you in a socially distanced ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.